The Wolverines fail to cover the spread, the Big Ten West shows their true colors, and we hit up some fan mail. I'm Adam Amble, and this is the M Factor. Hola, mi amigos. The M Factor is recording this week in beautiful San Luis Potosi, Mexico. Sadly for work and not pleasure, but that's not going to stop me from getting all you listeners and subscribers this week's episode four of The M Factor. And speaking of subscribers, if you haven't yet, be sure to get on over to iTunes or Google Play and subscribe. It's free, people. Come on, let's let's make it happen. We appreciate it. And go ahead and leave us a nice five-star review because, hey, why not, right? If that doesn't tickle your fancy, then you can always continue listening on SoundCloud. And don't forget to leave your comments, likes, dislikes, etc. on my email, SoundCloud, or Facebook page. And again, I just really want to give my sincere appreciation for all the shares, subscriptions, and plays that you guys have been giving the N-Factor. You're making this uh, first season pretty fantastic so far, so keep it up, guys. Thanks again. With that, we have a lot to go over today from the comfort of my lovely hotel room, so I apologize if it sounds a little echoey. I actually had to use the old USB microphone here, so let's dive right into the game from this past Saturday. It was a pretty shaky start for the men in blue, not scoring until deep into the second quarter. Let's review some of the team stats and any M factors that stick out in my opinion. So the final score again was 45-20 to in favor of the Wolverines. First downs evenly matched 21 to 21 third down efficiency was also pretty evenly matched 5 of 14 for SMU 6 of 13 for Michigan fourth down efficiency we had to go for it on three different occasions we were three for three while SMU was a solid three for four total yards not a very huge upside for the Wolverines here 434 to 319 passing 237 to 209 I would like to bring up yet again Shea Patterson's solid performance He had 237 yards passing, as I mentioned, but 14 of 18. Again, showing that awesome pass efficiency, that uh, that accuracy that we've mentioned pretty much every game so far here on the M-Factor. In fact, uh, as you might remember, that was one of our things going into the season was how accurate that Shea Patterson hopefully was and continues to show that he really is a nice, accurate passer. Rushing yards was 197 to 110 in favor of the Wolverines. We did have 41 more attempts, and we averaged about 4.8 yards a carry. Now we dive into one of the major M factors of pretty much the whole season, and that is the penalties. Michigan committed 13 penalties for 137 yards, and that has continued to be a problem for Michigan in these first three games of the season. They have been flagged 27 times for 244 yards, ranking them 118th nationally for tossing that laundry out on the field against them. Now, I would like to bring up the two ridiculous targeting penalties that I feel were not correct. I I know Harbaugh expressed his frustrations over, uh, especially last weekend's targeting call against Hudson. That's a big one for us. Uh, He is going to have to sit out the first half of the Nebraska game, which might not be a huge deal considering Nebraska seems to be garbage, but we'll get into that a little later. The defense had a lot of penalties against them, especially a lot of a lot of pass interference calls that I really disagreed with. But at the same time, a lot of them were legit. There were some that, that clearly the guys were beat and stuff like that. And that kind of is a little concern for me heading into the Big Ten schedule is, you know, our defense is supposed to be our, our number one, right? It's supposed to be what we can fall back on. But this last weekend, they didn't seem to play very well. And our offense definitely didn't seem to play well in the first quarter and halfway into the second. But back to the penalties, a lot of that, you know, Harbaugh's teams have traditionally been penalized a lot. If you go back and take a look at the seasons, 
even when he was at Stanford and honestly even when he was with the 49ers and the pros, I think it's really attributes to the style of coaching that he really plays. You know, he's a high-intensity guy. When you are high-intensity, I'm sure a lot of you guys that have played football in the past, you know when you're intense, a lot of times it's easy to lose focus. That could be definitely a part of it, and I feel... You know, these these young guys are definitely, especially under Harbaugh, are going to be insanely aggressive, and sometimes you give and you take a little bit. I'd much rather them having playing aggressive than unaggressive and, you know, not commit a few less penalties in, in the game. Because you're going to commit penalties, that's just nature of the game, but at the same time, I really want my team to be aggressive. So it is a concern at the same time. You know, until it really hurts, I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over it, but it is it is definitely something that sticks out to me, especially this last weekend's game. So that's my take on the penalties, but the turnovers, one-to-one, no big deal there. We did have that interception return for a touchdown, which was awesome. That, to me, was the M factor, the changing point of the game, really. That let us go in 21-7 to at halftime, and really, you know, we, we kind of never looked back after that, so that's definitely one of the M factors of the game right there. So on the, on the team stats, you know, not very impressive, especially against a team like SMU, who you were supposed to just clobber. You know, I think the spread was in the 30s. And even the stats don't necessarily state that we dominated this game. A lot of people, if you didn't watch the game and you look and say, oh, 45 to 20, maybe SMU kind of scored some gimme points, you know, at the end with uh, Michigan putting in their second string and stuff like that. But if you watch the game, that really didn't happen. I really felt our our defense kind of struggled during this game, and it was, like I said, it was a fight. I thought SMU has something to definitely take away from this game because they were, on paper, severely outmatched, but they came to play. If it wasn't for that interception before halftime, I think it it could have been a different game. Definitely not 45-20. to I don't think we would have lost, but at the same time, it could have been a nail-biter down to the end, which us Michigan fans have grown all too accustomed to especially against some of these teams that are, again, on paper, a little less skilled than we are. But that's why you play the games, right? Just ask the Big Ten West. Uh, We'll get into that a little later. I'd like to get into some of the individual stats for the Wolverines. First, starting with our boy, Shea Patterson. I alluded to it earlier. Awesome, awesome job on the accuracy. Again, he looks so crisp back there, and especially I'm, I'm really excited about him finding Donovan Peoples-Jones for three touchdowns. I thought that was great. That's just showing that the chemistry between those two is really starting to pick up, and that, that could be dangerous. So let's not forget, he's only a sophomore, and he really, you know, I don't, I don't think he played as well as he should have last year. I don't think he had the year that he wanted to have. He definitely didn't have the year that we all wanted him to have. But then again, he didn't have a very good quarterback thrown to him. So this year, I really like seeing that. That's that's awesome to see uh, Shea. And some of those passes were on the dime. If you go back and look at the highlights, you'll definitely agree with me. Right in stride. And Shea just stepped into the throw and just landed it right in its bread basket for pretty much all three of those. You know, he, he, again, right in stride, right right to the hands, made it easy for Peoples-Jones to catch him. And actually, uh, DPJ uh, told the media that, you know, Shea throws a very easy ball to catch, and he's really excited about these games coming up and hopefully turning the offense loose a little bit. So that's something. But back to Shea. For the year, he is now 46 of 65. That's a 70.8% completion percentage. That is phenomenal, folks. 589 yards passing. He does have the two INTs, but six touchdowns now to go along with it. We spoke of that earlier in the year on the first 
podcast, which was those ratios at Ole Miss were not very good. You know, his, uh, his second year at Ole Miss, he was 17 touchdowns to nine INTs. And then his first year, he only played a couple games, but he was six touchdowns to three INTs. So a little bit of worry heading in to this season. And, and we said it, the ratio of TDs to INTs, is he, is he too aggressive? Well, he's definitely proven that he is not too aggressive, though 6-2. to two, I would like it to be better. I would li- like to see those TDs a little little higher, but nonetheless, very impressed with Shea and very excited about the chemistry growing with Donovan Peoples-Jones. So back to some of the other individuals. We had Chris Evans, who took the brunt of the carries with Higdon being out. Uh, Higdon did dress. However, I guess it was kind of a game-time decision. Harbaugh said he didn't look ready. Hopefully he's ready for the Huskers this coming Saturday, but we will have to wait and see. I was very impressed with our boy True Wilson. That's awesome. He got in. He had 11 carries for 53 yards and finally got his first touchdown as a Wolverine. Amari uh, Samuels had some good carries. He had a, a nice long run of 18 yards there, which was pretty sweet. And then uh, they kind of opened it up a little bit. Let's not forget, oh, Henry Thomas was able to take that end around for uh, 11 yards, so he got one carry, but... It's good to see that. I like to see uh, us gradually opening up the offense here going into the Big Ten schedule. I will talk about that a little later, but I think that is definitely a good thing. Michigan receiving. Tight ends Gentry and uh, O. Martin got some some good touches. Gentry had four receptions for 95 yards, and then I alluded to DPJ already who had four receptions for 90 yards. Also those three touchdowns, which was awesome. On defense, it was Chase Winovich leading the squad with eight tackles, and then Cannell Bush had seven, Metellus had five, and notice who I did not state was Rashawn Gary. Again, not a very overpowering-slash-dominating game that you expect from our preseason All-American there. And I, I was watching again, and I must say he wasn't double or triple teamed a lot. He was, don't get me wrong, but not as much as you would expect, especially when he's only, you know, putting in three tackles, only two solo tackles. So Quinn Norton on the special teams was able to knock down a field goal as a 45-yarder. So that's good. Uh, I always like to see, you know, that's a, that's a decent distance too for Quinn, 45 yards. That's decent for any college kicker. So happy to see that one go in. So from the individual stat standpoint, again, I will say the M factors are Shea Patterson's accuracy and the chemistry going with DPJ. And another individual stat, which was kind of on the negative, was the targeting on Hudson. So not, uh, you know, that's kind of the negative side of, of, of the stats. But Hudson, be back in the second half against Nebraska. It is what it is. What can we do about it now? The call was made. Uh, we can just move on. That call is uh, is kind of a judgment call. Everyone knows. Uh, sitting with a bunch of buddies, uh, again, at a little watch party downtown, there were half of us that thought it was targeting, half of us that didn't think it was targeting. So the rule just continues to kind of just float around. They really need to do something about that because sooner or later, it's definitely going to hurt not only Michigan, but, you know, I'd hate to see it hurt, you know, another team that uh, had, you know, had a big shot to win a game. So some other news after the weekend, had an interesting conversation with a couple of Michigan fans on stating that McCaffrey should be starting over Shea Patterson, and hopefully all of you agree with me on this and thinking that's just ridiculous now. Now, don't get me wrong, McCaffrey looked decent in his short amount of time at Notre Dame. Let's not forget this, guys. He looked, he did look good. I, I won't deny that, but he was only in for a few plays, guys. Let's let's not uh, let's not hop on the McCaffrey fan bus just yet because he didn't get in this weekend. He only had he was one for one last weekend. He did have that touchdown pass, which was nice. But I'm not gonna sit here and say that he's not good. But 
you can't argue with Shea Patterson's numbers at this point in the season. I didn't like the loss against Notre Dame, but I don't think that was on him. Again, I don't think that uh, he, he should. He could easily be three and zero right now. But I'm not gonna lie to you. He is definitely our guy. A lot of people were stating that McCaffrey could scramble better. Again, I don't see where you have the proof of this because he's only been in and what a hand, or maybe a handful of plays throughout the season. He did scamper one play against Notre Dame for a few yards, and he, he looked good. I'm not going to deny that. But Shea Patterson, every game, has had to run at least two or three times, scramble out of the pocket, and make a dime throw. So Shea Patterson is not slow. He is a little elusive back there. You know, uh, he's definitely the most elusive quarterback we've had since. Uh, Rudock was pretty elusive. You know, I'm, I'm definitely going to put him past Gardner. I definitely put him past, obviously, Spate. I probably wouldn't put him past John Navarre. <laughs> I'm just kidding. John Navarre was terrible. He, I think he had concrete feet, so um, he was growing roots back there every pass that he would drop back to. But anyway, honestly, Denard Robinson was probably the best for elusiveness and escaping the rush. And then it goes to, to Shea Patterson. You know, even Chad Henney wasn't that great. I guess you could say Tate Forcier was decent at it, but that's because he was the small, smallest guy in the field. So it was pretty easy for him to just duck under people and whatnot. I'm not about to compare Shea Patterson to Tate Forcier. So I'm really not going to listen to that argument anymore. Shea Patterson is the guy. McCaffrey will get his time. Don't you worry. I think it's nice that Michigan's going back to it's kind of two-on, two-off type deal to where, you know, every two years they're bringing in a nice, solid quarterback. It really didn't happen until, what, Navarre? I got to bring up his name again, but Navarre kind of started this. Okay, you're going to play like all four years. He did start the season his freshman year. Uh, lost that job to Henson later on, and then started his sophomore, junior, and senior year. And then we just reloaded again with Henny. And then it really, you know, we got away from letting these guys develop for their first two years. And nowadays you can even get redshirted, right? So Shea Patterson will be there for this year, next year. And then we'll bring in McCaffrey as a junior and senior. And then we got a couple uh, I think Milton actually, I, I don't know how he's progressing in practice now, but at the same time, we could have him. I'm sure Harbaugh is hot on the trail of another five-star quarterback recruit. And I really enjoy, I'm liking how it's setting up for the quarterbacks at Michigan. Kind of getting back to that 2-2-2-2, two, 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 you know, year after or every other year getting a nice new quarterback that has been under the system. Hasn't had to play a lot of game time really, but, you know, get some mop-up time here and there but has really been able to study the system instead of a brand new freshman or a true freshman coming in and, you know, struggling for a few games and maybe even losing his confidence. That that really sucks. So, like I said, I like where the Michigan quarterback situation is right now, especially if people are wanting McCaffrey in there instead of Shea Patterson. That's just, that's unbelievable. His numbers are equal to, if not better than Chad Henney's when he was starting off as a freshman. So, been a while since we've had a quarterback, especially with this accuracy, which I love. It's one of my favorite stats is the completion to attempts percentage and he really hasn't had to throw the ball a lot but we will see in the upcoming games especially with those injuries to the running backs because I don't think I mentioned this earlier Evans did go down you know towards the end of last weekend's game so that's why big true Wilson got in there and got to play so that's a pretty awesome story and uh, you really got to feel good for true uh, walk-on guy and really runs hard. I'm really impressed with. He kind of reminds me of. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember old Drake Johnson a couple years ago, but uh, I really enjoy watching him run. Runs pretty hard. He's hard to bring down. You know, he doesn't go down on that first tackle, and that's awesome. That's one of my favorite attributes, or one of my favorite things that a, a running back can have. Uh, it's been since pretty much Mike Hart, who you know would would not go down on that first tackle. It's awesome to see him break that first tackle, and then you know sometimes even second, third, fourth. 
That's what Hart was really good at. Sure do miss Mike Hart. And I'm not comparing True Wilson to Mike Hart just yet. We'll give him some time, but uh, good for True Wilson. Glad to see him in there and hopefully he gets uh, some more carries throughout the season. I really think we're going to need him throughout the heart of the Big Ten schedule. So keep it up, True. Love your style, man. Now, I'd really like to get into the Big Ten West. What a debacle this year. We kind of had an idea of it before the season started. I don't think we really uh, downplayed Wisconsin as much as we should have, apparently, as Wisconsin goes down to BYU. You got Nebraska going down to Troy, and then Northwestern going down to Akron. All that in the same weekend. Not good for the Big Ten West. Not good for the whole Big Ten, if you really think about it. You know, the Big Ten is known as one of the more power conferences of the college football world, if not the power conference. I know the ACC and SEC are, you know, the arguments to that. But you look at the East and you got Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. Those guys are all ranked. And then you got the West. And you only had Wisconsin up until this weekend. And Wisconsin, after that brutal loss, drops all the way down to 18 So I'm looking at the conference right now, and everyone knows the East is stacked. That's been the story ever since they divided it up into these stupid divisions. But you look at the West now, and you have Northwestern at 1-2, Illinois 2-1, Wisconsin 2-1, Nebraska 0-2, Purdue 0-3. You have three out of the six teams with losing records already, and it's only three games into the season, folks. The West side of the conference is definitely, definitely terrible, and I don't really know what happened. Purdue had a good season last year, and they returned a lot of players. In that first game against Northwestern, they were they were favored to win, but they lay a goose egg. Then you think Northwestern's good. Well, guess what? They've lost the last two. Iowa still looking okay. I think Iowa now might be the best team in that division, especially after Wisconsin goes down. Minnesota, 3-0. Good job, P.J. Fleck. like to see him do well over there. And then you got Illinois, who hasn't played anyone. And you got the dreaded Nebraska Cornhuskers, who's coming to Michigan. And they could easily start the season 0-3, if not 0-4. So I'm not really sure what the deal is over there in the west side of the old Big Ten, but they need to pick it up. You know, it, it really looks bad because a lot of people look at the conference as a whole and not just the east and west. I know the SEC is similar, but you still have Georgia on the other side of LSU, Auburn, Alabama, and stuff like that. And, you know, you got Florida in the south, but you really don't have a lot of uh, a lot of power in the north right now for the SEC. But at the same time, it's still Georgia, right? So outsiders will look in at the Big Ten and be like, oh, well, you know, you got your four good teams. They happen to be all on the same side of the conference. And so the other half is just garbage. And that's not what you want. You want a nice, robust conference through and through. Now, don't get me wrong, I like playing these teams. You know, we get Nebraska, Northwestern, and Wisconsin this year. So I'll take, uh, it'd be nice to play Wisconsin right now. Unfortunately, we don't, uh, you know, we don't play them for another four games. But sadly, we do have to play them right before we head up to East Lansing. But at least we get them at home. And if they play the same anyway against Michigan or any other Big Ten team, watch out. They they could be in for a long season if they don't figure out what's going on over there in Madison. So that's kind of my take on what the heck happened in the Big Ten, especially the West this last weekend. For the East, Ohio State cruises as usual before they get their, their boy Urban Meyer back. Indiana had a nice solid game. Actually listen to that one. Penn State, another good game. Maryland, solid game. Michigan, you know, we've already discussed that. You know, and, and Rutgers is struggling. I feel bad for Rutgers. Uh, they Clearly do not belong in the conference for football, but hey, we get uh, we get that East Coast play now from Rutgers. We get a little bit of recruiting. We get a little bit of TV time over there, so 
That's good. I, I mean, everyone pretty much knows that's why we brought them into the conference anyway. And uh, they're not terrible at basketball. But moving on to a little bit of fan mail this week. We got uh, another another couple questions that they're, they're pretty solid this week. I do, I do get a chuckle out of some of them. The first one, why do you continue to knock Navarre every episode? Does going to the Rose Bowl mean nothing? Not to mention he has many Michigan passing records. Well, that's easy because he's the worst. Moving on. What is your grade on the Wolverines going into Big Ten play? That's a solid question. We've reviewed every game so far this year, and I think they kind of took a little step back against SMU. But I do like the fact that they get to roll in with uh, two garbage West Side teams of Nebraska and Northwestern. And then we get Maryland. And remember when we said, you know, that loss against Notre Dame, they can still roll into Wisconsin with, a, you know, a 5-1 and one record. They beat Wisconsin, who was also, obviously, they showed their true colors. They could roll into that Michigan State game at 6-1, and one, and it could be a very marquee matchup. Now, I'm hoping not because I'm hoping MSU continues to not improve and show their true colors because I didn't think they were going to be that good this year. I don't think Lewerke is a good quarterback. I can go into that all day long. Maybe I will in a future episode, but you know, they got a chance to go six and one, or pardon me, five and one before that stretch of Wisconsin, MSU, and Penn State. And then we got Rutgers and Indiana. So if they keep improving, who knows what could happen going into that OSU game. It'd be nice to go in there with one loss and have a chance at the Big Ten Championship. But my grade for them, it, it's kind of tough to say because it depends on what my grade was preseason-wise. But my grade, because they've been improving, and I think they can still improve a little more, has been a solid B-. minus. I would say their defense has shown signs of weakness, especially last week. These penalties are really killing them. And their offensive line and their run game still hasn't clicked as much as we would like it to see, especially against some of these weaker teams. They showed great improvement against Western Michigan because if you would ask me their grade after that Notre Dame game, you know, I'm talking CC minus, they jump up to probably a solid B against Western Michigan. And then, you know, maybe drop to a B minus against SMU uh, after the SMU game, just because I really didn't, I think they took a little step back, but a lot of that could have been because of the injuries and stuff. But hopefully they can pick up the grade a little bit against Nebraska, Northwestern, Maryland going into that Wisconsin game. So thanks for the question, guys. Uh, We'll go over the last question. This one might take a little bit, but do you think, given the way the game is played now, that Ohio State will continue to dominate Michigan? Is the rivalry over? Well, kind of two questions there. I'd like to go over, is the rivalry over? And that is a definite no. I definitely don't think the rivalry is over simply because this has happened before and it was the other way. Let me ask you guys this. I'm sure a lot of people, uh, definitely older than me and my same age, remember this name. Who remembers old Coop from Ohio State? Yeah, that's right. So he started back in, what, 1988? Michigan rolls off, what, six wins in a row. There was a tie there in 92. Ohio State pulls off a win in 94. Michigan wins another straight three. Ohio State wins in 98, and then Michigan another two. I mean, look at that. That's 13-3 and three from 85, really. And most of that was with the Coop era, but let's not forget that. And no one was saying the rivalry was over then. And we put the pounding on a lot of great Ohio State teams. That's pretty much why Coop lost a job. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. The fact that they would come into that game undefeated, you know, one, two in the country, and we would just roll over them. Who can forget the memorable Bianca Batukin game where it rolls over 300 yards rushing? That was great. I remember watching that at my house. I was not at Sanford Lake Bar and Grill. I don't know why. I must have been too young or I was going outside to play some football afterwards or something like that. But those were great games. 
So that's that was one reason why I don't think the rivalry is over because, yeah, Ohio State is dominating, but we had our share of dominance and not in 1901 and stuff like that. This was when I was alive. This was for most of my early life and rolling into 2001 before Trestle and stuff like that. So Trestle and Urban Meyer come in, and yeah, they've pretty much owned us, I'm not going to lie to you. But in those years, let's not forget uh, 2006, the game of the century where we lost it by three. Awesome game, looting to Mike Hart earlier, and we could have won that game. Let's not forget 2013 where we weren't even supposed to be in that game, and Devin Gardner goes for two at the end, which is the right call. We weren't even supposed to be in that game. You might as well. could have saved Brady Hoke's career, probably. 2016. The dreaded fourth down play. And heck, I'll even throw uh, last year in, the, in 2017 with those two crucial picks that we were driving and we end up throwing the ball away. Could have been a far different game. A lot of coulda, shoulda, wouldas, but uh, at the same time, those are four years right there where it could have went either way. And there were some other close games in there. So saying the rivalry over, definitely definitely not. Going back to the, do you think the way the game is played now? This is where I would get kind of worried in the fact that Ohio State might own us for a few more years. we got to get our offense a little more creative. I have read some articles on him live this week stating that we've only seen about 50% of the Michigan's offense. If that's the case, and I sure hope it is, I'm very excited. But that could all be just hearsay and stuff like that, or just Harbaugh trying to get some positive pub and stuff like that on the offense. But if it is, that's fantastic. So the history of the game, it's never going to die. All of us Michigan fans, you know, we have our own memories of the game. Like I said earlier, my family and I always go to the Sanford Lake Bar and Grill up there in the middle of Michigan for this game. It's always at noon. It was always on ABC up until Fox got the rights to it. But nonetheless, you know it's going to be the last game of the season. You know you're going to be with family and friends. And that's something, it's a great tradition for Michigan. And I'm sure, you know, some Ohio State fans have the same feelings, but not that we care. But that's that's my take on, well, Ohio State continue to dominate. I really don't think, I think they will unless we change our offense a little bit, but not not forever. Again, that rivalry will come right back. What goes around comes around. We proved it in the 90s, and now Ohio State's proven that uh, it's not going to go back and forth every year like it did with Bo and Woody, but those are great questions, guys. Keep them coming. Don't forget, you can post them on Facebook, SoundCloud, even send me an email. That's what a lot of people are doing, or shoot me a text and say, hey, I'd really like you to at least go over this. If you want me to use your name, just let me know because I can't really use it unless you tell me I can. And uh, we'll continue to keep these. These are solid questions. I really enjoy answering these. Like I mentioned last week, that's what this podcast is all about. Now we shall move on to the dreaded game against the Nebraska Cornhuskers and our homeboy Scott Frost. Michigan opens up as an 18-point favorite already. The game is at home. It is at noon this Saturday, and I don't understand what's going on with Nebraska. Scott Frost coming off a great year last year at what, Central Florida. little cocky as Scott Frost is, you know, they gave themselves a national championship, which I thought was fun. You know, I wasn't too disappointed with that. I wasn't all anti-Central Florida after that, as a lot of people were. They, they had a great season, so hats off to them. But I cannot bring myself to like Scott Frost. 97, I just couldn't stand them. Remember they got, I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but remember the uh, the play against Missouri. This was back before they had instant replay, but that play against Missouri where the ball just happened to just roll right on that guy's foot in the end zone for Nebraska to pull it out against Missouri. And that was that really sucked because for those of you who don't know, that's the year Michigan and Nebraska split the national championship. I really would have wished we had a go at them that year. That would have been fun, so we could have just destroyed Scott Frost but he's back. He's back in Nebraska. He's a corn husker again, and he is doing terrible, and I don't feel bad for him at all. 
He always was cocky, even as a coach, and I hope we beat him by much more than 18. My prediction is that we will. I do think, I do hold a little bit of truth to the fact that we haven't really opened up our playbook as much as we could have this year. I mean, we did see last weekend Aubrey Thomas get that end around, as I mentioned earlier. So that's exciting. That's very exciting for the offense. I I really would like to see them open it up a little more game by game by game. And then once we roll up against Wisconsin, when they come to town, I don't know if we'll have to by then. Because I honestly think Wisconsin might have one or two more losses heading into Michigan, and that might not even be the game that we're all dreading that it would be. So in terms of a score, I'd like to see 35-14. to 14. 14 doesn't give our defense a lot of credit. I think our defense will step up again this week and kind of not give a lackluster performance like they did last weekend. Cut down on the penalties, make your reads, do your assignments, and I think the defense will be just fine. I'm giving them 14 just because, again, I think maybe our special teams allows something special, or we do turn the ball over deep in our own territory or something like that, and the defense might have to try to step up and not be able to do it, but a lot of faith in uh, the improvement coming this weekend. So yeah, I do think you know a 35-14 score sounds pretty good to me against the 0-2 Nebraska Cornhuskers, so go blue on that. So moving on to the next segment, it was brought up to me by my younger sister, Allison, that I did not bring up the question of the week. So Here it goes. Now, speaking of Scott Frost a little earlier there, back in 97, I would like to know who your most hated player was of that year. I definitely have three in mind right off the bat, but, you know, there could be some that I'm definitely forgetting, and I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts and really dig into that one because I'm sure a lot of them will be the same, but I'd really like to hear some of your guys' comments and posts on your most hated player of the 1997 season. I would give my three right now, but I want to take anyone's answers, so just let me know on the uh, media sites that we can get some discussions going. So there it is. There's the question of the week. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the rival annoyance of the week. This one comes courtesy again of our boys up there in East Lansing after they scheduled their bye week on the third game of the season, or pardon me, the third weekend of the season. And that university can do nothing right for me. I have no idea what the heck they're doing. The third week of the season, you have a bye you're not even in the conference play yet. They're scheduled. They need to fire whoever their AD or whoever schedules these games. This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. They play on a Friday night. Then what do they do? Schedule a friggin' ten o'clock game out west against a decent team. Obviously that they found out, and then they get a bye week. It's unbelievable. These guys, it, it it's it's just shocking. They. Ugh. Just words could not describe, and I'm sure I'm not alone on this, on how bummed I am that we've been losing to those guys for quite a long time now. There has been a few games that we should have won. I don't even want to bring up the botch punt. And, of course, the duck it in the end zone with the extra second play back in the late 90s. And one that's kind of close to me was my boy Tate Forcier taking them to OT back when I bought that old jersey after they just beat Notre Dame, pulled off the upset that season. So I just have a full arsenal of annoyances against that university that I'm glad I can actually express them on this show. And I'm sure most of you guys agree with me. Hopefully we can head up to East Lansing this year and beat the crap out of them unlike last year in the old rain bowl which was just ridiculous another lucky weather thing that happened for the sparties last year remember that penn state game that one was a that was an odd one too i think it was delayed like three three four hours or something like that at halftime waiting for the rain to to pass over but living in the past living in the past another great annoyance i hear from michigan state spartans i'll get into that probably in the next couple weeks 
that one will probably be for the week before the Michigan-Michigan State game because I'm sure I'll hear it more than roughly 100 times throughout the week of Michigan fans living in the past. I can't I can't stand it, and it definitely annoys the crap out of me. So that is my annoyance of the week. Actually, I might have fit two or three in there, but hey, it's the start of the Big Ten schedule, so let's get excited about it. And with that, it will conclude this broadcast from the old San Luis Potosi Holiday Inn Express. Again, sorry if it was a little muffled. Uh, It was a little quick, too, but I did want to make sure I get you guys this episode. It will be out Thursday night. You already know because you're probably listening to it right now. And it might be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or whenever you guys like to listen to these things. But thanks for tuning in this week. Again, don't forget to subscribe to iTunes or Google Play. Or just keep rocking it out on SoundCloud. That works too. Keep sharing. I really appreciate that. That really helps out a lot. I get a lot of, uh, you know, I, I tend to get some strangers and stuff like that leaving me the questions and whatnot. So that's really cool to think that it's, it's kind of branching out into a, a broader audience instead of just my close friends and family. Nonetheless, couldn't have done it without my close friends and family. So I appreciate it, guys. If you're heading to the game this weekend, be safe. It is a noon game, like I mentioned, so you're going to have to get there early to tie one on. Drive safe. Have a great rest of the week and weekend, guys. We'll be back next Thursday. Go Blue. I'm Adam Amble, and this is The M Factor.